0: All right. Uh, Good morning. Um, Welcome to Scottsville Baptist Church. I am Morgan Smith, the pastor of Youth and Discipleship. Um, I do wish that Ken wouldn't do his job so well so make it easier for me to follow. Uh, But other than that, um, it's good to be with you all this morning um, in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Samantha, for that testimony um, of the goodness of God. And God is good. Amen. Amen. That wasn't good enough. God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, So this sermon is a little atypical for me. I don't normally like to survey entire books. We'll be in the book of Jonah this morning. Um, But as I prayed and prepared, as I kind of meditated on what we were supposed to go through this morning, Jonah kept coming up um, as I was studying. So we'll be in the book of Jonah this morning, starting in chapter one. And I do want to give a thanks to the um, Primary Center FCA. I did do a quick devotion with them through the book of Jonah, so that kind of helped me get going and get started um, as I was preparing for this sermon as well. So we will be in... Um, Jonah chapter 1. And as we're getting started, I do want to give you a little bit of an unpopular opinion. I actually am not a huge fan of Jonah. Um, When I read the book and I read who he was and his life, I don't see Jonah as someone that should be championed as a, you know, father of the faith, someone that we should really look up to in our lives. Um, And I think when we view him and we look, talk about him with our kids. And we're like, yes, he was this guy, he had this one bad moment, but then he followed God and he was great. And I think that's kind of over romanticizing Jonah's story a little bit um, because in the book of Jonah, Jonah is not the, necessarily the good guy or the protagonist. It's very much that God is the good guy and the prop- protagonist despite Jonah and all of his issues, okay? So we'll start in Jonah chapter one, um, studying that God will be glorified always. And before we get started and before we read our scripture for this morning, um, a little bit about the book of Jonah. Jonah, the author of this book, is unknown, okay, so it's most likely written by someone who was there, someone who heard the story um, and copied it down. The book is not short of drama. The ESV Study Bible calls it a literary masterpiece, okay, and that's just aside from it being in the Bible. It's, they refer to it and give it a lot of high praise as far as um, the storytelling there, and to, before we study Jonah, it's best if we know who he was, when he lived, that kind of thing. And historians place Jonah as living in Israel under the reign of Jeroboam II, who is also not a great guy, not a good leader of Israel. Um, if you study 2 Kings 14, they reference Jonah, um, and you'll see that Jeroboam is not um, someone that we would really look up to and say that he's really leading the people of Israel towards God in any way. Um, so we read this passage and we see God using Jonah uh, to speak his word through the people of Israel, under the wicked reign of Jeroboam. Okay, so that's where we are when we find Jonah and when we start in chapter 1. Okay, so we'll start in chapter 1, and we'll read through the first small passage, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get started. So, um, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. We'll stop there and pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness. And thank you for the opportunity just to gather and worship you this morning. Um, We thank you again for just the testimonies and the worship that we've seen from our fellow believers um, here this morning. We pray that as we study Jonah's life that we'll understand that you are faithful and you have a calling on our lives and you are good to us despite us. We pray that as we open your word and read it and study it together, Lord, that you will just use it to enrich our lives in a way um, that we are called and understand our calling to follow you with everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we see in this first small chunk that God commands Jonah to go, okay, and Jonah's response is he immediately flees, okay, so God says, Jonah, go, Jonah flees, so before we get started, we need to realize that God's calling on our lives is not optional, despite what Jonah sees and what Jonah shows us with this first passage, okay, Jonah, God calls Jonah to go, Jonah flees, he's like, I'm not doing that, God, forget about it, And God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, okay? And Jonah does not like Nineveh, as we'll see. Um, There are three places mentioned in this first passage, and they are Nineveh, Joppa, and Tarshish. Okay, so Jonah is in Israel. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, which is about six to 800 miles east of where Jonah is in Israel, and your east would be that way, okay? So he's called to go to Nineveh, and Jonah's here, so he goes to Joppa instead, which is down here. And he's called, or he's not called, He called Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish, or he tries to go to Tarshish, which is way over there on the west, eastern coast of the Spain of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so Tarshish is on the eastern coast of Spain on the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah is way on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, not following God, right? So he's called to go one way, he goes the other way in a very far, very different direction. It's about 2,400 miles from where Jonah is to where he's trying to go, which is the opposite direction again of where he is called to go. And he doesn't just sit still. He doesn't just avoid Nineveh, right? He doesn't say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here. I'm comfortable, God. I'm not going to do that. He runs in the opposite direction, okay? He doesn't just sit and say, God, I'm good where I am, appreciate it, but call somebody else. I'm not going to do that. He goes, way far in the opposite direction. And the result, we'll see in verse 4, it says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And we'll pause there. So we see that God's feelings towards Jonah's disobedience are on full display, as we see the storm hit the boat that Jonah's in. So Jonah's running from God. God is very openly against what Jonah is doing. He is in a storm to enrage the boat and to change the direction of what the people are doing. And the sailors are trying everything within their means to save themselves. We see them tossing things overboard. They're doing all these things within their means to try and save themselves and to just hope that they can survive this storm long enough that it'll go away and they can um, continue on with their journey. And then in verse 7, it says, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for the trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. So if we pause here, we see that the men who were trying to save themselves, they couldn't do it and they turn immediately to a higher power, okay? So they're not turning to God, they're praying to their own gods, but they immediately realize this is completely out of our control and there's nothing we can do. We have to change what we're doing and turn our course in a different direction. So they turn to the higher power and in, you know, they play this game, they cast lots in a way to determine one person who might be able to tell them who's wrong and who is um, causing their trouble. So they do this, and God uses even this worldly game that is completely has nothing to do with him to show the men and to show Jonah that he is still completely in control of this situation. Because chances are that crew of men probably had at least five or six other people. They cast lots to single out one person. Of course, of all people it could have landed on, it lands on Jonah. So God uses this game to remind Jonah, I am still completely in control of what's happening on this boat. And if you continue on in verse 10, the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. So immediately we see that the men at the ship were aware of the God of Israel. Okay, They were not unaware. When he says, I am the one who worships the Lord God of Israel, they immediately reply with, what have you done? And they're not worshiping God. Remember, they are calling on other gods. They're not really interested in the God of Israel until Jonah reminds them, hey, I'm from the God of Israel. And these men would have heard of all the things that God had done. He split the Red Sea. He saved the Israelites from captivity time and time again. He sent them saviors. And we see that throughout the whole Old Testament, and these men would have been aware of these stories, so they know when Jonah says, I am of the one true God, they say, what have you done, and why are you doing this to us? Why did we get caught up in the middle of your quarrel with God? And oddly enough, in that, you see that the men's respect, the pagan men who do not worship God, they have more respect for God of Israel than Jonah, his own prophet, does. They have more respect for God. They're like, what have you done? This God's the one who does all the great things and you're running away from him. And Jonah's supposed to be the guy who's proclaiming his word to the people of Nineveh and Israel. But because of this, because they know the power of God, they do what Jonah says. Verse 15, it says, They picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So, because Jonah refused to repent to God, we see that he doesn't repent. He leaves the men with two options. He leaves them with the options of keeping him on the boat, and everyone's going to die. They're going to die, he's going to die, the boat's going to be destroyed. Or they can throw him overboard so that he could die alone. And Jonah tells them that's what they need to do. So they say, You know, Lord, forgive us, but we're going to have to do this. So they throw Jonah overboard. And you have to think from Jonah's perspective at this point. When you get thrown over the side of a ship in the middle of a storm, you know, that ship's not picking you back up because you're the reason they're in the storm to begin with. When you get thrown over the ship and you're headed towards the water, Jonah probably has one thought about what's about to happen and that is I'm going to die. There's no other option for me because I can't swim back to the sea that's, you know, probably at this point hundreds of miles away. I can't swim back to the shore. I can't save myself. You know, I'm not a fish. I can't breathe underwater. You know, I'm going to die. When he knew when he hit that water, it's over. You know, my life's over, it's done, I'm dead. But then God anoints a fish to swallow Jonah. And in our limited view, a lot of times we view the fish as some sort of punishment towards Jonah. We see the fish as okay, well, God sent this fish because Jonah did this thing, he disobeyed God, he's in trouble, so God puts him inside of a fish to you know, call him back to his sin and show him he's wrong. And that's not necessarily untrue, but the primary function of the fish is not to punish Jonah, it's to save Jonah's life. Because if he had not been swallowed by that fish, he would have died pretty soon after. So the fish comes, and it actually saves Jonah's life. Because Jonah had strayed so far from God, it took him going into the belly of a fish for him to be delivered. And to sinners like us, sometimes when we stray so far from God, our deliverance can feel and look like punishment. When we stray so far from God, when we disobey God so many times, our deliverance ends up looking like punishment because we've disobeyed God all the way up to that point. And when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of when I was a public school teacher. And about this time of year, you know, school's wrapping up, kids are looking at their grades, parents, you're on your kids about their grades. I'd have kids, you know, that their grades are like a 4 or 13 percent, right? You know, they've not done anything all semester long. And at the end of the semester, inevitably, they walk right up to your desk and say, Mr. Smith, is there any extra credit I can do to save my grade? Is there anything I can do? And my response to them was always the same. Yes, just do the work that I gave you the first time. Turn it in, I'll give you a late grade, and it'll bring your grade up. And they're like... And they never said, Yes, Mr. Smith, that's what I'll do. I'll go back and get all those assignments, do them right now, and turn them in. No, every single one of them said, Well, I know, but is there anything extra I can do to save myself and to save this grade? Right? They're always looking for another way out, right? They don't want to do what they've been told they need to do. They're looking for an extra way out of the situation because they know they're in trouble. And Jonah's no different in this situation. He's, you know, thrown into the sea. He knows he's not done what he's supposed to do, but he's just looking for another way out to avoid what God has called him to do. And if you read through chapter 2, we won't read that today, but if you read through chapter 2, Jonah is in the belly of the fish. He prays to God, and he says, I know that you're doing this because I disobeyed you, but he never repents in that prayer. So he says, you know, I know I did something wrong, but I'm not really sorry about it. He never says, I'm sorry, God forgive me. He says, I'm wrong, you're doing this to punish me, I know but he never admits any sort of blame or any sort of guilt as far as, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And that moves us into chapter 3, and the point from chapter 3 we'll view is that the posture of our obedience matters. So God's calling on our lives is not optional, but the posture of our obedience to God also matters. And when we start in chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So again, chapter 3 starts very similar to chapter 1. Get up, go to Nineveh, preach. And this time he gets up and goes to Nineveh and preaches. And so now he's been swallowed by a fish. He has a three-day walk to think about what has just happened on his way to Nineveh to do what God told him to do the first time. Okay, So he went out, disobeyed God, swallowed by a fish. He spit back up. God gives him the same command he gave him the first time. And now he gets to walk three days to Nineveh to think about all that he has done. So he goes and says, Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah sat out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least." And after all of this, after this whole story of disobedience, God calling him back, God rescuing him, God sending him to Nineveh where he called him the first time, all it says is Jonah speaks what God tells him to speak, and the entire city is saved. After all this, he merely speaks the word of the Lord, he merely does what God tells him to do, and the entire city repents from the greatest to the least. And after this, it says, God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. So God had threatened Nineveh that if you do not repent, I will destroy you. And that was Jonah's message to the Ninevites. And he goes and merely speaks, and God saves the entire city, which just goes to show us that God will always be glorified. God is faithful to us, and God is good to us, despite us, and Jonah goes He just says what God tells him to say, and the entire city is saved. But when we look at how Jonah obeys and his attitude and his posture towards obedience, he did not want to be used. He made that abundantly clear from the very beginning that, you know, God, I don't know what beef Jonah had with the Ninevites, by the way. There's been lots of conjecture and scholarly studies and ink spilled over that that we'll never know. But Jonah did not want to go into the Ninevites, did not want to be the person responsible for saving the Ninevites, and he did not want to be used in this way. And Jonah's begrudging, or begrudging obedience rather, saves the entire city, but it does not reconcile himself to God. So Jonah's begrudging obedience saves an entire city, but he himself is still not reconciled to God. Up to this point, Jonah has still not repented. He has still not told God, I'm sorry for running from you. He has still not told God, please forgive me. And he does what God says, and he saves the entire city, but even still... He refuses to repent, and he and God himself are not in good standing. The posture of our obedience matters. We can follow God in our way all we want, and God will use us despite us, but that does not mean that you and God are in the same place as far as being good in relationship with one another. Jonah ran from God. He did what God said begrudgingly, walked three days to a different city he didn't want to go to and didn't save, and God saves an entire city And then we're about to see that God and Jonah still aren't on good terms with each other. Which brings us to the third point that glorifying God must always be done God's way. Glorifying God must always be done God's way. So even after seeing an entire city saved, he's seen God's wrath on full display in chapter 1, he sees God's glory on full display in chapter 3, and he still doesn't repent. He has seen the full power of God on display two different times, and he still doesn't repent. In chapter 4, it says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said I was, while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster." And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So a quick side note, Jonah's insult to God in this passage sounds a whole lot like a compliment to me. If my wife came up to me and she said, Morgan, you are so compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. One who relents from your disaster and does not harm me, I would say, thank you. You know, but Jonah's trying to insult God by complimenting him. You know, if Marianna came up to me and said all those things, I'd be like, I love you too, I guess. You know, like, um, why are you saying it to me with that voice? You know, what's going on? Um, You know, what's going on here? You know, it really sounds like you're complimenting me, but you don't seem like you're complimenting me. And Jonah's voice towards God, his attitude towards God is still, you are great, you are good, you are faithful, and I hate it. Kill me now. (laughs) Right? He appointed Jonah, and through Jonah, the city was saved, despite his best efforts, okay? And Jonah is not happy about that with God. He's still not in a good standing with God. And we get to chapter 4, verse 6, and it says, The Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah. So at this point, Jonah has left the city. He's just sitting back and watching them all praise God, and he's furious about it. And he's sitting on top of a hill, I imagine, just like looking at the city, thinking, I can't believe God saved them anyway, right? And we get there. And it says, God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant, and when dawn the next day came, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. So we see this plant come, we see it wither, we see Jonah miserable again. And again, he tells God, it's better for me to die than to live. I want to be dead rather than alive. Still disgusted with God. And you get to verse 9, it says, Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and left, as well as many wild animals. And this has the weirdest ending of any book I've ever read in my entire life. (laughs) Including scripture, excluding scripture, you read any book, the whole goal of most authors is to end with some sort of resolve, and we don't get that with Jonah. This book ends with Jonah and God at each other's throats, God telling Jonah, you deserve nothing, you do what I say, because I am the glory, I am the prize, and you do it faithfully and lovingly, and Jonah says, just kill me. That is the scenario we are left at the end of the book of Jonah with. It's crazy. I don't get it. I'm like, can we not have continued on, you know, a few more minutes, you know, just a couple more sentences, you know, and they were happy or they weren't, you know, give me something. But it ends in the middle of this conversation where they're just unhappy with each other. But one thing this book teaches us through that is that Jonah saw God's power and glory on full display, and he misses the entire point of why he was doing what he was doing. So he saw the full wrath of God, he saw the full glory of God, and he missed the point. God used Jonah to come and to teach the people of Nineveh, to preach the people of Nineveh, and to save their entire city, and he misses the point. He watched everyone from a king to a peasant in the same city repent and worship and follow the one true God, and he misses the point. Because Jonah failed to realize that his life wasn't his own. And often we do this. You know, we want to follow God. We want to follow God our way. We're like, God, if I just do this, it'll glorify you, but it'll really make me happy too, right? And that's the way we look at following God. And this is what Jonah was trying to do in a way. He was actually a lot more disobedient than even that attitude. But Jonah failed to realize that his life wasn't his own. And we think about the glory and the benefits we have as Christians and believers. We think about things like um, the love God will give us, the blessings he will bless us with. And we think about places like heaven where we'll spend our eternity. But we fail to realize that heaven will be great, but it won't be because of the pearly gates and golden streets. It'll be great because God is there and because God is the prize. God is the prize. We often see the Christian life in some way as... Mutually beneficial for both us and God, and heaven as beneficial to us. If we just follow what God says, He'll give that to us. But we fail to realize that we're doing these things not because God tells us to, but because we love God and we want to please Him and do everything we can to be in good standing with our Creator and our Savior. And if we see anything, whether that's comfort, worldly possessions, desires, other than God as the prize, we, like Jonah, have missed the point. God calls us to give our lives that are already his to him and do it happily. We need to stop running from God. Like Jonah ran from God, God called him to do something that he didn't want to do, and he ran the opposite direction. And maybe that's you. Maybe you say, God, no way. I'm gone, forget about it. I think a much more dangerous, or maybe not more dangerous, but a much more likely scenario is that God calls you to do something, and rather than running the opposite direction, you sit still and say, I'm pretty good where I'm at. You know, like, I don't need to move. You know, I like the way things are going, God. You know, let's just keep what we got going on until 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 I pass on, until you're done, right? But we need to stop running from God or stop disobeying God and his calling. When God calls, follow. And when you follow, follow joyfully because God wants to use you. God did not need to use Jonah, okay? God did not need to use Jonah to send him to save the Ninevites. He could have used any prophet that he wanted. But God wanted Jonah to understand that he is the prize and that he is the glory. And he chose Jonah to do that because he wanted to benefit Jonah, not just the Ninevites. And oftentimes we view God's calling as just a way to glorify God, but what we miss is the fact that when we follow God, He glorifies Himself through us, and through that we are brought no greater joy here in our walk and our time on earth. So when you follow God, joyfully follow the God who wants to use you. And when God uses you in ways you don't expect, don't miss the point. Because God will use you in ways that you don't expect because things that we expect are not nearly as great as the way that God can use us. So when God calls you, follow him, do it faithfully and don't miss the point. Rejoice because God is the glory, because God is the prize. And don't miss the point because you let yourself get in the way of that. So whether you're a sinner this morning and you're running from God and you're like, I don't even know who God is and I want nothing to do with him, let me assure you that God will continue to call you because he loves you and wants that relationship with you. And if you don't know what that looks like and you would like to know what that looks like, I would be thrilled to talk to you about that um, after we complete our our service today. But believers, don't be like Jonah and miss the point. Be like Jonah and continue your calling till it is complete, until God is done using you for his glory. Complete the mission to which you were called. As we think about that this week, as we go throughout our lives, don't fall into the traps that are set for us of running or sitting still. Chase God and follow Him, and when He calls you, go and go joyfully. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to gather, and we thank You for Your glory and your faithfulness and your goodness and your willingness to use us, though you don't need us, your willingness to use us despite us and our sinful desires. We pray that like Jonah or unlike Jonah, we won't run from you and that we'll follow you in any way that you call us. We pray that you will call us in ways that are mighty and beneficial to our community and to this world. We pray that Scottsville Baptist Church won't just be a place of people who come and sit and watch, but of people who go and follow you so that you will be glorified around our community. We pray that when we follow you, God, that we don't miss the point that you are the prize. Remind us, God, of your glory and your power and your goodness when we think about these things. And when you call us, remind us that you will use us even though if we have doubts about our own abilities, God, you will use us to your glory because you are good and faithful. We love you and we praise you for everything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.